He is risen. Risen indeed. And uh, kindergarten through... Am I... uh, There we go. Kindergarten through third grade are invited to rise and go to uh, children in worship right through that door, even though I I know the teacher of children in worship really well, and she was a little fearful because of the Easter egg hunt that was just prior to them coming in there. But in the power of the resurrection, she went forward. She, She entered into the chaos and the uncertainty, knowing that nothing can separate her from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And actually, that's what we'll be looking at uh, today as we venture into a a passage that maybe isn't your normal um, Resurrection Sunday uh, passage in the the end of Romans 8, but one that is, is based fully on Jesus' death and resurrection, and we'll even see in, in the passage, and one that, that really answers one of these questions um, that is often asked. Um, and, but the, the, again, the, as we go through the whole of Holy Week, from Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday to Easter Sunday, it really addresses this question, is God both good and all-powerful? You know, some folks will say, well, why do these things happen? God must, either he's, God's not good or he's not powerful. Well, part of that, that's a whole other sermon, is how we define good. Um, usually I define good by things that make me happy. You know, that, that's good if I feel good uh, about it. Um, that's not the way God defines good, even though I wouldn't mind it if he did, but he didn't. But it's a question, really, is God both willing and able. Is God willing and able to rescue creation from the evil that is within us and among us? Is God willing and able to rescue sinners, to hold us and to keep us forever? Is he willing and able to to rescue the whole of creation? That's what we'll look at here. You know, because... Um, there are plenty of ways, you know, that we experience um, situations where we're willing but unable. Um, last uh, this last fall, uh, Nate, my son, and I went as part of sabbatical, went on a hike through the Grand Canyon. Great thing, highly recommend it. Um, uh, and uh, I won't get started talking about it because then. Uh, I won't, the sermon's long enough as it is. But, um, we got down to the Colorado River, which is at the bottom of the canyon. And the Colorado River is not like the Ohio River there. The Ohio River looks like a nice lake compared to the rushing Colorado River where it's roaring by. You can't hear yourself think right next to it when you get next to the rapids where there are waves ten feet high on the rapids. And there are people who go down the river in rafts. Um, We weren't one of them. Um, But just the week prior, um, a group was coming down. And a husband and wife couple were there. And the wife fell in the water. And the husband, out of love and care and protection for his wife, jumped in after her. He was willing. He was willing to do whatever was necessary to rescue her. The only problem is he wasn't able. She was rescued soon after, and he was never found. You know, we, and you might say, whoa, that's sort of a serious opening story there. Well, 
Yeah, it is. And one is, I want to just wake you up of your, from your sugar coma, from the Easter egg hunt. But also recognize the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is a life and death story. It's not just a morality play. It's not just a nice metaphor. Jesus enters into the evil of our world to totally defeat it. So sometimes we are willing but unable. There are other times when we're able but unwilling. Just this this week in our fair city, there was a car accident on one of the interstates and a car flipped on its top. I mean, so it wasn't just a little fender bender. It was turned upside down. The, the, and, uh, there, and cars would just come by and drive by and drive on by. And maybe some of those folks weren't able, but I got to believe some of them, if they're able to drive a car, they were able to stop and help, but they were unwilling until one person did pull over and stop and got out to help. And one of the cars that was not willing hit the person who had stopped to try to help them. So sometimes we know situations where we're able but unwilling. Here, what we see here is that we will see both God is willing and able to enter into the depths of darkness of evil in order to rescue you and me and all of creation and hold us for all of eternity. It's Romans chapter 8, starting with verse uh, 31. It's found on page 944 of your pew Bible. I invite you to turn there or follow along on the screen. Let's, uh, let's pray. Almighty God, we ask now that your Spirit would enable our ears to hear from you. Enable our, our hearts to receive from you so that you might free our hands and feet to then do what is good and right according to your perfect will. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so the first part of the passage, what we see here is that God is indeed willing. 
The, the work of salvation, of rescuing us from our own sin, rescuing creation from its evil, God is willing. And what Paul tells us is, I mean, look at what God is willing to do. The Father is willing, is, is willing to let the Son die. The, the Father does not spare His Son from death. He doesn't rescue Him from death. He is willing to endure the loss the pain of his son's death for the salvation of the world. Now, metaphorically, we, we you know, biblical writers use this language of father and son to, to describe the relationship of God the, the son, of God the father, Yahweh with God the son, Jesus the Christ. And part of that is to, to capture in its purest form the relationship between the Father and the Son, between God the Father and God the Son. And, and the, the, the commitment, the allegiance, the love that is there, like any father for a son, shows the extent there. Um, I was, uh, uh, several years ago, I was at a restaurant in the parking lot and um, families were uh, coming in and out of the restaurant. And as I was um, coming through, a, a, a young boy, six or seven, caught my eye. And you could just see it in his eyes. Because um, he got out of the door, somehow released himself from the hands of his parents, saw empty pavement, and boom, he was gone. running through the parking lot to the car while there were cars running in and out of the parking lot. As he takes off, then a variety of people around, related and unrelated, start screaming and telling him to stop. And of course, what does the five-year-old, six-year-old boy do? When that happens, he stops in the middle of a parking lot with cars going, and he screams and cries and is scared. But as all this is going on, his dad doesn't scream or holler. He just takes off. He's at the door. He takes off, runs through everybody, picks up his son through traffic, and is on the other side. That's the the love of a father for a son. That's what the biblical writers try to capture when they talk about God the Father and God the Son. And, And so what we see here is the willingness of the Father to surrender the Son for the salvation and rescue of creation. Uh, he is willing. I love what, what Paul says later on in the next verse where he, he says, So now, he who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. I mean, if he's given that, that, that which is the, of the utmost greatest value, how's he not going to give us everything else that's good? Had a colleague, um, who, uh, um, was asking, going to ask his, uh, his girlfriend to, to marry, um, him. And he, he sat down with his little niece, or his little nephew, William, and uh, he showed William the ring. 
You know, he had the, had the box and had the ring there with him. And he popped open the, the, the box and showed him the ring and gave it to, showed it to William. And William was holding the, the, the ring. He says, you know, this, this is gold and this is a diamond. And you know how much this cost. And, and William was like, wow, that's really cool. And put the ring down. Can I see the box? You know, and, you know, it's that fancy velvet box, you know, with the silk on the inside. And you would you know, pop down and pop open, you know, and he was cool. And he goes, man, how much, how much was the box? (laughs) And he told him, well, you know, when you buy the ring, they just throw the box in for free. (laughs) If God is willing to give his son for the salvation of the world, how much more is he willing to, to give us what is good, what is needed in flourishing life, to be with Him forever. God is willing. And He has gone through such means to rescue creation. Is He not now going to walk with us? Is now, we're told, that Jesus not only has died... For us, He's risen for us, and now He sits at the Father's hand, interceding for us, being our advocate, being our voice to the ears of the Father. And if He's gone to this extent, is He not going to lead the church, lead His people through whatever darkness, whatever evil, whatever mess, whatever trouble we may face, whatever world this may the world this world may bring us, whatever schemes of the devil may be ours, if he has given his son, is he not willing to then carry us through through whatever opposition and evil we face? He is willing. Is he able? Is he able? Because that's, that's the next thing that Paul wants to address. And, and or actually, it's throughout the passage. He uses these rhetorical questions. You know, questions that aren't really meant for an answer. You know, just like mine. Is he able? I mean, yeah, he's able. He raised Jesus from the dead. Well, don't get ahead of me yet. But throughout, then, he asks these questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is it that condemns? Who shall escape us from the love of Christ? It's like Paul is in the courtyard. You know, he's, he's in the, the field with the crowd around him and, and he's shouting these questions to proclaim that God is able. There is no one who can condemn you if you are in Christ Jesus. There is absolutely nothing that can get between you and the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He is not only willing, but he is able. And he gives a whole list, a couple lists here, actually. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All verse 35. Shall any of those separate us from the love of God? No, nothing will. And and this, this list is a list of earthly things. 
You know, there, there are things that are, are real that you can touch, that you feel. I mean, this is real pain, real chaos that it brings, tribulation, you know, oppression that we face, anguish or trouble or opposition, or when we're hungry, when we have no food, when we have no clothing, when we are at risk, when there are swords or guns or bombs. And for Paul, talking to the first century church, they faced these really because they were followers of Jesus. Wasn't just because the world was evil. It was because they were following Jesus and they were, their temptation was to say, I no longer follow Jesus. Can I have some bread to eat? I no longer follow Jesus. Can I get out of jail? I no longer follow Jesus. Can I have my head back? That's what they faced. And I don't know that if you, uh, been the third service of the day, later in the day, you probably saw the news, maybe even looked at the paper or got your news feed buzzing you. That, that still happens today. I mean, there were three churches in a hotel or two bombed in Sri Lanka today, this morning, 8.30 Sri Lankan time, in the middle of singing, He is Alive, bombs went off in three different sanctuaries. Over 200 have been killed, 400 are injured. This month in Ontario, Canada, three churches were burned down. In the last two weeks in Louisiana, two African American, three African American churches were burned down by an individual who they've caught who was converted to paganism and in, into, um, uh, a, a kind of, of music and, and culture that's of, of Norse gods opposing Christianity directly. Actually, in the world population of Christians, one out of every nine Christians will face persecution. 345 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons every month around the world. So there is global persecution and tribulation. And, and as you've heard me say before, and so many around the world face the raised sword, we tend to face the raised eyebrow for following the ways of Jesus. But what's, what's really important is to recognize that there, but that's real persecution. That's real pain. There may be some of you who have lost your job because... You stood up for Christ. Some of you didn't get a good, as good a grade on your exam because you refused to cheat because of being a follower of Jesus. So, some, some of you have lost relationships because you're a follower of Jesus. You have faced persecution and opposition. And, and you will. We will. All of us have faced it. And what's important is why I like this list first is to recognize that the things that Jesus is talking about here, the things that Paul is talking about, is not a nice metaphor. It's not a nice way to gather at springtime to celebrate beautiful flowers that that I love. It's it's not a time to to talk about rebirth in in terms of the the, the trees and the flowers. That, that's all a nice metaphor. But what we're talking about is real live blood and hunger and pain and nails and hammers and people who betray and deny to Jesus' face. 
I mean, it's real concrete stuff of pain and oppression and evil that we will face because we're followers of Jesus. That's why Paul quotes here in verse 39, he quotes from Psalm 44. And the context of the psalm is these are the people of God crying out. These are Israel crying out for your sake. We're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, this is, this is to say that as a follower of Jesus, we will follow Jesus even to the cross. We will face pain. We will face struggle. And the, what we see in Jesus is that that pain and struggle is real. Jesus is really on the cross. His heart stopped beating. His blood stopped pumping. His brain stopped waving. He was dead. And on the third day, as we've been singing, he rose in real life and time. So God is able. He is able to rescue, to carry us through no matter what evil we face. And that evil can be because of the evil stuff of the world, the opposition of the world, or our own stupidity. It it, it doesn't matter. He is able to rescue us. It can be from the devil himself. But he is greater. And that's the the very end of the passage then as he continues on this um, uh, crescendo here. um, in verse 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in this, in this part of the passage, there are, there are three doubles and a triple. Right? Just, you, you see, that's what he's, he's doing. Neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come. And those are the three doubles. Then the triple is, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Right? Just walk through those just a little bit. You know, you might, you might look at that and say, All right, I, can, I can get why there's death, and I can get why there's the, the, the word here, principalities or rulers. It doesn't mean worldly rulers. That's a spiritual ruler. That's a spiritual term that he's talking about. He's not talking about um, uh, rulers like uh, a king. He, he's, he's talking about the, just like there are angels or the spiritual beings of good. The rulers here is the, really the word that's used for the spiritual beings of evil. Which, again, just like I believe that this, uh, that Jesus was a real human being, that he really died on the cross and that he really rose, that you could, if video cameras were around, you could have taken a video camera of it that day. I also believe, as the the Bible teaches, there, there are evil, there's evil at work in the spiritual realm. The, and for me, the, the apologetic for, for that is just the systemic evil that, that no human being sort of touches. It just happens. We're organized in ways that do things that, that do not uh, uh, promote the flourishing of all of humanity. Just in our own city. You know, what was it? 60, I don't know if you saw this article in the paper that there's 60,000 pounds of food like a week or something like that that, that goes wasted. Did anybody see that? I meant to look up the exact number. But anyway, it's a lot. There's a lot of food in our city that just goes wasted. And then there are hungry people that don't get it. So it's like there's... There's, it's not a matter of 
provision, the food is there. And I know there's a lot of good people around who are both willing and able and trying to address that. But it just never happens. And to me, that's one of the best. And and you look at that not only in our city, but globally. It's one of the best examples, the best um, uh, apologetics, the reasons, uh, um, uh, 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 reason for believing. Yeah, there is spiritual beings at work that will do everything they can to prevent the flourishing of God's creation and therefore his glory. All right, so anyway, um, the, why, why are the, I can see why principalities, why the rulers and why death is there, but why are life and angels there? You know, I mean, sure, we're scared of death. Everybody wants to know that death is defeated, that death really isn't the end of, of all of, of life. Um, but why, and so I can understand why that's there, but why the good stuff? You know, that, it's because in life and because of the, the, the good, the blessings of life, the, those are some of the reasons and, and often more common reasons that cause division between me and God. I mean, I'm like Israel. You know, you read read the stories of Israel uh, and you read them, uh, you'll see over and over again when things go bad, you know, when there's disease, illness, there's opposition, man, they are on their knees crying out to God. You know, and so they are connected to God in the midst of the, the evil and the pain. But when all of a sudden things start to go good, then they, they sort of start to drift away from God. You know, that, that becomes what separates them from God. They sort of move their, their own way. I, I can be like that. Can you be like that? I mean, that... That, that, so that's why even in life can't separate us from God. That's why I say, even if it's because of you, even the shame and guilt that you may be carrying because of the things you have done and said or thought, even those are conquered at the cross and by the power of the resurrection. So whether it's death, life, angels, principalities, what has happened in the past, again, what you have done in the past, the evil you have done, or what's coming in the future, your fear of what tomorrow might bring. God is greater. He has conquered those. And then finally, he captures the, the powers, the powers that are the heights and the depths, the heights, the powers, the, the, the powers at work that you can see. Where we can see the impact, like the food and stuff like that. And even the, the thing maybe is, is more scary, scarier, are the, the powers and principalities that we can't see. The things that are the depths that below the horizon. I mean, ultimately, what Paul is saying, that in everything on earth and everything that is created, everything you can see and can't see, everything you can experience, God is willing and able to continue to grip you in his hand and will not let you go if you are in him. The death and resurrection of Jesus shows that God is willing and able, that Jesus is victorious, that he is indeed the true champion. And those who are in him are on his team. And we get a ring. We get a trophy. Not a participation trophy, but a championship trophy because we are in him. Now for some of you today... This this may be new news. And and you're harboring some kind of shame and guilt and pain for your 
mistakes you've made in your past. And, and you, you continue to, to hold that in, in your heart. And, and somehow that gets in the way of your relationships with others and relationships with God. This, the passage, the scriptures are clear that in Jesus Christ, if we repent, we turn away from that, we confess, we agree with God, that is evil and wrong things that we've done, and we give that to Him, then it goes down and is destroyed with Jesus in the very pit of hell. He takes it in His death. He takes your sin, my sin, all of evil of this world. He takes it down and destroys its power. Evil and death and the devil himself are destroyed. They're rendered powerless in his death. And so you, we, are forgiven. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. And we are raised with him as victors with him. And there is now nothing in this world should scare us because we're in Christ. Not death, not evil, not injustice, not the brokenness of our world. And this is great news. This, this that God is willing and able to destroy our own sin, our own guilt, our shame, and the evil of this world. And we can rest and rejoice in Him. Not just Easter Sunday, not just on Sunday, but every moment of every day. From demons to death, Jesus has conquered it. From the raised sword to the raised eyebrow, let nothing deter us from living in the love and grace and goodness of Jesus. Now again, let me remind that doesn't mean life is easy. Matter of fact, Jesus said it's going to get harder. Because now you're free to enter into injustice. You're free to enter into lies. You're free to enter into the darkness of the world knowing that you are secure. I mean, the worst thing that can happen in this life is that you die. And that just means, as Paul says, you get to see Jesus face to face. Now, again, it doesn't belittle the pain. I mean, the pain and blood and tears that Jesus shed on the cross were real. And as we're following him, he tells us, that persecution is going to come. He says, take your cross. If you want to follow me, take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. Because this is the way to life. This is the way to flourishing. You know in me, none of the evil of this world can just rip you from my grip. Nothing can pull us from the grip of our Heavenly Father. Paul said here, because all were defeated at the cross. And that victory was celebrated in the resurrection. So we are in him. Victory over fear, power in his Holy Spirit, even enter into the evil of the world. And know that we are protected in him. May the power of the resurrection be real in us, not today, not just today, but every day. And may the power of His Spirit, we live in that resurrection in the, the world around us. May it be a witness to the world that indeed Jesus 
is the ultimate champion. Amen.